teach the students on Wednesday nights to clap every time I walk up, all right? So y'all did that awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. Good morning to everybody, especially to those of you watching online and joining us. Like you said, my name is Jason Bishop. Uh, I'm the student pastor here. Uh, my wife and I have been in student ministries for almost a decade now together. We've been married for 12 years. We have a 12-year-old, 11-year-old, and a 6-year-old. And I have a prayer request for you guys. I've been in student ministries, like I said, for, for almost a decade now. But for the first time in my life, I have not one, but two middle schoolers living in my house. So you guys can pray for me as much as you want. So, no, I've been so thankful to be here uh, at Riverside. The parents that are here, the small group team that we have is awesome. I'm grateful for that. Um, and for the past couple of weeks, John has been walking us through the book of 2 Timothy, and so we're going to be jumping in to that as well. We're going to be in chapter 2, and I'm excited about that. But first, I wanted to give a little bit of context of what's happening in Timothy's world, what's happening in a place that he finds himself ministering to, because I think it's so perfectly weaves itself into what we're facing right now as a society. Like I said, I've been in leadership for a while, but th this seems like one of the most difficult times it has to make decisions because things are fluid and changing all the time, day by day and week by week. And Timothy can relate to that. Timothy lived in a similar place to us in time where it wasn't easy to follow Jesus. For him, he was living in the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And for years, he found himself traveling around with Paul, planning churches, and he loved that, and they did it great, and they went so many places, and they had been through so much together. But now, Paul was a thousand miles away. And not only was he a thousand miles away, but he's sitting in prison. So here's Timothy in the third largest city in the entire Roman Empire by himself, and he's no longer planting churches he's building disciples. He's building the local church. And if you've ever worked with people, you know how hard that is. You know how difficult it is to work with people sometimes, let alone where he's doing it. I mean, Ephesus is a crazy town. Like, think, think Cancun meets Las Vegas, right? And I know some of you guys know that better than others. But anyways, it's a crazy town. It's off the Mediterranean coast. And Anna is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. In Timothy's background, in, in his backyard, just think about this as a place to minister, stands the temple of Artemis. So every day walking into work, every day going there, he sees all the tourists coming in. He sees all the boats coming in. And it would have been a beautiful city because there was representations from all different cultures, right? So Greeks... Jews, Romans, Africans, Asians, all would have been in this kind of melting pot culture. The restaurants would have, there would have been amazing. That would have been my favorite part. Oh, man. But this melting pot of culture coming together, and it was a party style, and you could get anything that you wanted there. So in the shadow of the Temple of Artemis, here's Timothy trying to build disciples, and he's having a rough time at it. And that's why I think 2 Timothy is so important for you and I today, because Timothy teaches us something that I think is so important. He helps us understand what it means to follow Jesus in a world that doesn't. He helps us understand 
what it means to walk out your faith in a time of confusion, in a time where things are just complicated. Let's be like, there, there's difficult things. He helps us understand what it means when our lives are filled with uncertainty, because those are the things that he's walking out there in Ephesus. So let's jump in. Second Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you have the Version app, the, our, our team has set it up so you can uh, follow us on, along online or uh, on your phones. And so all you have to do is go to your Version app, click on events, search Riverside Community Church, and then our, today's date will pop up. And then you'll actually be able to see the notes and follow along and refer back to it. So I'm excited about that. So here we are. If you have a personal Bible, it's kind of in the middle of the New Testament. And if you're just kind of like the person that needs to know everything or wants to know everything, I'm on page 1189 of my Bible. So if that's helpful for you, all right? So here we are. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Remember, this is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, You then, my son, applies to daughters too. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. All right, so let's stop there. If he's saying, Timothy, be strong in grace, what are you feeling if somebody's telling you to be strong? You're feeling weak. You're tired. You're alone. You want to give up. Ephesus, the city that Timothy finds himself in, and in ministry in general, working with people, has kind of beat this young man up. And so Paul, being the gracious mentor and coach for him, gives him words of encouragement. Be strong in grace. Timothy, this place needs you. Ephesus needs you right now. You have the spirit of the living God that inside of you. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is in you. You are a light of the world. Let me remind you of all of those things. Timothy, be strong in grace. Grace isn't what just saves us. Grace is what sustains us all along the way. Something I've been learning personally throughout this season is that I kind of look forward to like, oh man, when is this going to be over, right? Like I've been kind of struggling with that and I'm realizing more and more that it's just grace that's sustaining me along the way. That things are going to keep showing up. Things are going to keep happening. There's the next wave and the next wave and the next wave. Maybe it's not a global pandemic, but maybe it's a crisis in your household with one of your kids. Maybe it's not everything that's happening in the world, but it's, it's wondering if your business is going to make it through the next couple of months. Or parents, it's, it's that fear, worry, wonder of what it's going to be like to send our kids back in the fall. What is that going to look like? That's such an unknown and a curiosity. And so grace isn't what just saves us. It's what sustains us along the way. Because some of those things, if I get caught up in that, then it can overwhelm me. But here's the truth. You and I never grow beyond grace. We become stronger in it. So that's the encouragement that Paul is giving this young man, Timothy. Our strength comes from someone else's strength. Nehemiah said it well, right? He said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So he begins with the foundation is grace for everything. Everything that he does, everything that he's saying, he says, let's start with grace. Be strong in grace. Now let's jump into verse 2. He says, and the things that you have heard from me, say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. 
Now, if you've heard the name Billy Graham before, Billy Graham is probably one of the most influential people as far as the advancement of the gospel in the 20th century, especially here in America. He brought millions to Jesus, and he filled up stadiums. But listen to these words that he says. One of the first verses of Scripture that Dawson Trotman, the founder of The Navigator, shout out to Colorado Springs, that's my hometown, called me to memorize was 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. He said this is like a mathematical formula for spreading the gospel and enlarging the church. Paul taught Timothy. Timothy shared what he knew with faithful men. And the faithful men were supposed to teach others also. And so the process goes on. Now listen to this. This is the key part. If every believer followed this pattern, the church would reach the entire world in one generation. This, Billy Graham is the face of mass gatherings in the church. This guy had more people showing up to stadiums than like U2, the Beatles, Beyonce, and Jay-Z, right? Like, like that's, okay, maybe not Beyonce, but he had that many people showing up to stadiums to hear the gospel, to come hear it proclaimed. And he says, that's not it. He says, that, that, that's what I'm called to do, but that may not be the best way to build the church. The best way to build the church is one-on-one relationships. If you want to talk about mass gatherings of produced people, he's it. But listen to his last words again. If every believer followed this pattern, the church would reach the entire world in one generation. So what is that pattern? It's one-on-one investment. It's investing in a few people. If you talk to a small group leader in, in student ministries, they get that. If you talk to a life group leader here at this church, they understand how important this role is. Investing in a few people is how you reach the world. It's one person at a time. Paul invested in Timothy. Timothy invested in a few people, just a small group, and those few pass it on to others. And he says, if we continue that, then we can reach the entire world in one generation. And I want to affirm John in one of the ways that he says it around here. I'm sure you guys have heard it many times before, but he says disciples aren't hand or mass-produced, they're handcrafted. The guy that says mass gatherings is his calling says the best way to do it is handcrafting disciples. I want you to think about it like this. We're going through a book called Second Timothy. And this is not a letter. This is Paul's last words that he's going to write before he dies. His last words aren't to the biggest church, aren't to the most influential churches, isn't even to the, to the richest church that's donated the most to him. It's to one person. Paul understands how important it is to invest in one person. As a matter of fact, it's his son. And as a father with a son, I, I get his heart in all of this. This is a great model for discipleship. This verse, 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, is a beautiful thing, and there's so much here in this verse. And even that part when it says, entrust to reliable people is a great principle for, you, for those of you that are leaders in, in your workplace or especially leaders in the church. Look for somebody reliable. I think that's so important because there's so many other things that we can be great at, but, but what if that's your, like, superpower, Right? What if you're the best at being there through thick and thin? Everybody else is, is abandoned. Everybody else is, is kind of wishy-washy, but you're the one that's the most reliable. That's such a blessing that Paul and Timothy have people like that, and I love that. 
Okay, so let's go on. This is where it gets fun. This is, this is what I really enjoy. Verse 3, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving a soldier as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. So let me just give you a layout of what what Paul is going to do. Paul is going to give three examples of what it looks like from his time, where Timothy's at, everyday pictures of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And the first one is a soldier. Now, I like that because my wife and I are both military brats. I'm Air Force. She's Marine. So uh, we have a house divided. But um, if you grew up in San Antonio or around the area, you get this. You understand it. it. It's military town USA. We understand this principle of what it means to be a good soldier. But the simplest way that I understand it is just saying, hey, listen, you have your orders, you have your objectives from your CO, and you do them. That's what Paul is saying. Don't get caught up in everything else happening around you. Don't set your eyes, I'm sorry, set your eyes on something greater, the mission. Set your eyes on something greater. He's surrounded by distractions in Ephesus. This is the town of distractions. If you wanted any type of food, it was there. If you wanted something, somebody was selling it there. Pleasure to indulge in. Gods shaped by human hands for you to worship. Parties galore. Anything you wanted was right there and free at his disposal. And Paul knew that because he helped plant that church there. And says, don't get distracted with that. Don't get distracted. And I think that speaks so much to our world today. There's so much noise out there that we can get entangled in. There's so many different voices competing for our time and our effort and our money that there's so many things that we can't get entangled in. You fill in the blank for whatever that is for you. But can I encourage you, like a good soldier, being strong in grace means that you follow your objectives. You focus on your objectives like a good soldier. You focus on the mission. What is our mission? Well, our mission is to love God and love people. Our mission is the Great Commission to build disciples and to be the face of Jesus to our world. And so Paul is saying, stay focused on that. Follow your objectives and do what your CEO says to you. U.S. Navy Admiral uh, William McRaven at uh, uh, the University of Texas was giving a commencement speech, and he says, hey, listen, As a soldier, I understand something. He says, if you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. If you want to change the world, start off by making the bed. In other words, if you have a big challenge ahead of you, begin with the things that you can control. Start with the little things. Start with the things. I think we've all learned that we can't control everything right now, right? But there are some things that we can control in our lives. Now, I'm going to talk specifically to the kids and the students in the room and watching online. Kids, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to ask your mom if changing the world will, or making your bed will change the world. Just see what she says. Just, just, just to test out, just see if cha- making your bed will change her world. You're welcome, moms. I got your back, all right? So what is one small thing in your life that you can change to focus on God's mission for you in this world. Okay, so that's the first one. Soldier, right? We got it. Soldier is a picture of focus. Verse 5, he says, Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete doesn't receive the victor's crown. 
except by competing according to the rules. So he says, okay, if you don't like the soldier thing, I get that, I understand. Let me tell you about an athlete. You, you, you like athletes, right? Like, there was, listen, there was this massive coliseum in Ephesus where thousands of people would go and watch sporting events. Timothy probably headed there sometimes with some of his friends. I mean, like, this is the type of town that there's like a five-time NBA championship team there, right? You know what I mean? Like, this is that kind of town. Goes first, go. All right. Listen, Timothy, I know ESPN is on the background the whole time that you're working. Listen, I know that it's like reruns about the Bulls championships and wondering what like a 60-game baseball season would even look like. How is the NBA going to work things out? But even there, you can learn something about following Jesus. Look at the best athlete. There's a way that things are done with athletes. If you want to be the best athlete in the world, they're disciplined. They are some of the most disciplined people in this world. They watch what they eat. They watch how they sleep. And they're the first ones. The best ones are the first ones in the gym, the last ones out. Think of all the time that they spend watching film. Think of all the time that they spend studying plays. Think of all the whiteboards that they fill with X's and O's saying, okay, this is our plan, and before they even step foot on the field. There's discipline, there's training, and all that that goes on. And then he continues on the other half of this saying, an athlete doesn't receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Now I have a, a, a personal question for some of you in this room. Is it too early to be talking about competing according to the rules, Astros fans? No? Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, listen, I'm with you. I'm with you. The struggle is real when it comes to your teams not competing according to the rules. But listen, listen to what Paul is saying here. He's saying, hey, there, when people compete and cheat, there's an asterisk next to their name. And Timothy, I want you in ministry for a long time, and I don't want an asterisk next to your name, so you better compete according to the rules. No filming other teams, no calling out pitches or anything like that. God's team, God's rules, right? So you have to have the focus of a soldier, the discipline to follow the rules and the training of an athlete. And he says, all right, all right, all right. If that doesn't work, soldier thing still doesn't connect with you. Let's talk about a farmer. He says, the hardworking farmer, which, by the way, I've never not met a hardworking farmer before, but um, if, if you have, let me know. That's interesting. But he clarifies that here. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. So he says, think about how much work the farmer has to do before he gets one thing. We're trying to plant some like cilantro and jalapenos and tomatoes in my backyard, and it's impossible. Actually, the jalapenos are doing great, but I, that's just some tomatoes. And so he's saying, think of everything that you have to do just to get to the crop, just to get to the harvest. All the weeds that you have to remove, all the, you have to get the right soil, the right watering system. You have to make sure that the light is right. You have to make sure that the plows are working. All of this work, a farmer and a good farmer knows all of that. He knows his seasons. He knows his soil. He understands that the right seed has to be in the right ground at the right time for all of these things to work. And I think that, that a farmer understands something that's difficult for us sometimes. It's hard to see day-to-day -day results. Parents, you probably get this 
better than anybody, right? It is difficult to see day-to-day results in your kids sometimes. But what does Proverbs remind us? Train a child up in the way you should go, and when they're older, they won't depart from it. There's a long game to this thing. There's a long game to it. And the same is true about building disciples or working in the church. There's, if you've ever volunteered or served in ministry in the local church, you understand that you don't get to see results most days, sometimes if ever, to be honest. And, and farmers help us understand what it means to persevere even when it doesn't feel like there's any progress happening. Galatians 6.9 also helps us out, and it says, Let us not grow weary, don't give up, of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So, being strong in grace means you have the focus of a soldier, the discipline of the athlete, and the perseverance of a farmer. And there's something that that I love about Paul here that you and I can learn from him is, is he's saying, look at the world around you and there is examples and models everywhere of how to follow Jesus. I personally appreciate the fact that Paul isn't saying, hey, check out this other pastor and see what he does. But he says, just look at everyday people that are hardworking. A soldier is an everyday person that works hard. Athletes have to discipline and train. They work hard. Farmers are some of the hardest working people that we know. Check those people out. See the men and women that do those things, and you will find what it means to be hardworking, and that's a picture of following Jesus in a world that doesn't. And the more I've thought about this personally for me in my life, the more three pictures come to mind when I think about the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. And the first one is, is my dad. My dad, like I said, I'm, I'm an Air Force kid. My dad is a retired lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. And uh, I grew up around the military. I love it. And, and by the way, it's the day after 4th of July. Thank you so much, military, for all that you do. If you are in this room and you've been a part of the military, thank you. I appreciate your service. My dad uh, was a teacher at the Air Force Academy in the prep school for years. He deployed to Afghanistan. He has served his country well, and, and I know what it means to work hard from him, and I know what it means to train others to work hard from him. One of his jobs was, was to lead young men through basic training and prepare them for what it means to be an officer in the Air Force. And, and, and I, we were just talking recently about this, and I love what he said. He said, one of the best pieces of advice that I gave young soldiers was two words to remember and two words to forget. The two words to remember were next time. Sometimes you're going to mess up. Dust your boots up, get up get them the next time. And the two words to forget were, if only. There's so many regrets. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to miss orders. We're going to get entangled in other stuff, like Paul was saying earlier. But keep going. Focus on the mission. I love that. And so that's my first picture. My second, uh, Biasly is my favorite. This is my son, Darius. Uh, He is, when I think of the picture of an athlete, I think of him. He has the most raw talent. He's that guy that, like, if, you, if, if he plays a sport for, like, five minutes, he knows how to do it already. Like, he's just good at everything he does, right? He's got that natural, raw talent. Hey, good morning. Hopefully you're awake, too, by the way, Darius. Um, I remember one time in our uh, driveway before he's a basketball player, and, and, and before a game, we shot 100 free throws in, uh, on our driveway 
most games, you don't shoot 100 free throws, right? Most games, you get maybe six to eight. So, so why would you shoot 100 free throws? And he was asking me that question at about free throws 70, 65, you know, kind of around that range of like, why are we doing this? Because we're preparing, we're disciplining, we're training, we're understanding how our muscles work. He is so naturally gifted and talented he just needed some of the discipline and the training. And with the right coaching, with the right team, with the right training, this is my like humble dad brag kind of thing. They won the championship uh, this last year. And I was so proud of them. And it was so fun to watch him with this thing that he does so naturally when he added discipline into it and some focus, he excelled at it. And there's something that I can learn from him about what it means to follow Jesus. There's something you and I can. We are naturally inclined towards God. We have the Spirit of God living inside us. You were created in the image of God. You have all the natural talent that you need. And building some discipline into that will bring you even further and greater and faster. I love that. It was, it was great of him. I admire the dedication and discipline of athletes to do that. And last but not least, when I think of the farmer, I think of my uh, grandfather. He's passed away now uh, years ago, but he was a farmer in New England, so maybe you can understand why I get it, Astros fans. <laughs> but he was a cook during World War II. That's the definition of a hard worker. I, I love this picture. This is one of my favorite pictures of him. Not only was he a farmer, but he, was, he made his own maple syrup straight from the tree, and, and there he is doing that here. And at their house um, where, where uh, they lived, and when I was a younger kid, um, earlier elementary age, we would go there quite a bit, um, and he, they, they had an upstairs and downstairs, and the light coming from the downstairs to the upstairs was a red light. And as a kid, I, I never understood why, he would have, why they would have a red light. I thought it was some sort of like 70s hippie thing, to be honest. I, like, I, did, I, I just didn't understand it, um, why he would have that. Does anybody know why? he would have a red light? It was because it was a soft enough light that it, was, it wasn't as bright as a white light, but it was soft enough so he didn't wake anybody up as he got up. He was up that much earlier than the rest of the house that he didn't want to disturb them as he was getting up and going to work. And so he had a soft red light coming down the stairs, just enough light so he could see his way down and get off to his day hours before the rest of the house would be awake. That picture, that, that, that memory in my mind of that red light and those stairs is one of the best pictures that I have of what it means to be a hard worker. And I want to take all of those examples that I have and so many others around me of hardworking men and women and what it means to follow Jesus. Every one of them, I can learn something from them. No athlete is undefeated. A farmer doesn't get it right every time. A soldier loses focus sometimes. A soldier gets entangled with other things, but there's grace along the way. So Paul finishes with these words. He says, okay, if none of that resonates, if none of the metaphors, if you get those, if you're still bitter about the jab at the Astros and all of that, he says in verse 8, he says, remember this. But actually, the, the, the better term for remember in this, in, in the Greek, is a better way to say it is actually keep on remembering. So keep on remembering, keep on, keep on. As you continue, as you keep going, keep on remembering Jesus Christ. 
raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. I love the ownership in Paul's words here, right? It's not this is the gospel. It's this is my gospel. This is what I have given my life to, for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word isn't chained. Therefore, I endure everything like for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul gets it. Paul understands that there's a bigger picture at hand, that the truth can never be chained, that whatever's going on around, as confusing as it is, as complicated as it is, there's some things that we can hold on to foundationally. Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, fully God, fully man. And in the middle of suffering, when you're ready to give up, when you're at wit's end, when you don't know what to do, when you're confused, worried, wondered, remember, keep on remembering Jesus. After everything that he said, it's almost as if he's going back to verse 1 when he says, be strong in the grace that it is in Christ Jesus. It's not about how hard we work. It's, listen, all of these examples are hard-working people, but it's not about working hard to earn God's grace. Grace is unearned, undeserved favor, but it's about becoming stronger in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Think of everything that Jesus has done. Suffered, crucified, raised from the dead, all for your sake, all on behalf of you. And that's the important part of this. And if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. Grace makes work worth it. In everything that Paul is saying, he's saying grace makes it worth it. Be as disciplined as an athlete. Have the focus of a soldier. Go after God's mission like there's nothing else in the world to do. Have the perseverance in your relationships with others like a farmer. But listen, keep on remembering Jesus because grace makes it worth it. His grace will make you stronger. His grace will sustain you along the way. That's how you follow Jesus no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through because we don't grow stronger in grace, or we don't grow beyond grace, we grow stronger in it. So what I'd like to do this morning uh, with those of us here and, and those of you watching online is I want to go back to this command, reflect. The command is reflect. So I want to I spend some time with that and ask a couple of questions. We want to practice that here. And so, so here's a couple of questions for you to think about. What am I focusing on right now that maybe I need to let go of. Like the soldier, we can get entangled in so many other things. You fill in the blank for what that may be for you. But what is an area of your life that you say, what am I focusing on that I need to let go of so that I can pursue something greater? The second question is, how can I become more disciplined as following Jesus? Remember, it's not world-changing stuff. It may be something small. It may just be making your bed tomorrow morning. But what are those small things that you can do in your life? Check out your calendar. Check out where you're investing your time. Check out who you are investing in. Remember the pattern that Paul gave us for discipleship. Look at all of those things and ask that question. And then the final one is where or with who am I investing in that I need to keep persevering? Parents, my heart is for you on, on, on that one. It's difficult sometimes, especially when our kids are with us more often than, than usual. Keep persevering. What is a relationship that you have that you've given up on 
maybe that God is encouraging you to keep pushing on, keep persevering with. And in all of that, can I just encourage you with these three questions? Keep on remembering Jesus. So we're going to spend a couple of minutes. We're going to leave these questions on the screen for you and ask these questions and give you some time this morning to hear from God. praying, I, I want to encourage you, this may not be a question that can be answered in just a few minutes, and that's okay. These are some things that maybe you take for this week or this month and ask these questions. We just wanted to be intentional about giving you some time to hear God's voice this morning in these questions and responding to what he has to say in his word. But let me go back again to that verse at the very beginning you wherever you are this morning with everything that's going on our strength comes from someone else's strength be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and grace makes work worth it so let me pray for you